Okay, welcome back to another edition of Mormon Expression. I'm your host, uh, John Larson. And um, if you've lived in Utah or anywhere in the West for, for a length of time, you've probably heard about or known somebody who's sort of up and disappeared. Maybe they were a little bit rebellious. Maybe they were out uh, carousing on Saturday night. And they went to one of the numerous uh, uh, ranches or disciplinary areas, or the, the, the most famous being the Utah Boys Ranch down in the desert for some... Uh, I don't know, R&R, to get them back in line. Tonight we're going to talk a little bit about the um, the Boys Ranch and uh, what our uh, our guest, Eric Norwood, terms the Mormon Gulag. Eric, well, welcome to Mormon Expression. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. And um, we brought a friend of yours who's also been through the uh, Boys Ranch system, McCade. Hey, Cade. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. Well, Eric, why don't you uh, start us off and uh, give us a little background about yourself. Sure. Um, I was at the Utah Boys Ranch in, uh, I actually got there on Valentine's Day in the year 2000. And I was there until I turned 18 on October 24th, 2002. Um, so about, you know, almost, you know, three years. And uh, I'm 26 now. And I started the website mormongulag.com and... Um, yeah, it's about, you know, that's it. All right, welcome. Now, and Cade, um, maybe your background. Yeah, um, you know, and, and I don't really recall the specific dates, but I was there for seven months, and it was from 2001 to 2002. Actually, no, I, I apologize. It was from 2000, just during 2000, and I went there, and I'm 27 now. I... Uh, grew up here in Salt Lake, and so for me, heading out there was not really, I don't know, for, for some of the people around me, it was different because they had been shipped from all over different parts of, of the states or even, you know, internationally. So for me, it wasn't as much of a shocker, but it was definitely a shocker. And now I'm uh, living in, you know, Salt Lake City, Utah, and moving on. All right, great. Why don't we start at the beginning? Um, so what exactly is the Utah Boys Ranch? What do they do there? Well, uh, it is, they, they call themselves a therapeutic boarding school and, um, they provide, you know, they, they, they provide treatment or, uh, structure. It's kind of like a, a reform school. There isn't fences or anything there, like a, like a juvenile detention center, but, um, that they basically claim to help troubled teens, anything from, you know, kids that are depressed, uh, kids that are doing drugs, and, you know, and then there's a whole another group of kids there that are, you know, some serious, you know, sexual offenders, and so it's, they, they treat, they say they treat all sorts of stuff there, um, and it's, it's kind of a weird place, it's, it's a facility, it doesn't look at all like a ranch or anything like that, it's just a, it's just a, it's a bunch of buildings out in West Jordan over by the Kennecott mine. And, uh, they do like some hardcore forced labor, like disciplinary stuff. And then they have a lot of Mormon doctrine there at the same time. It's, that's why I called it a Mormon gulag because it's like, there's like the hardcore part of it when you first get there and you're, you know, you're on the work crew. 
and then the first people that you talk to are this are these elderly missionaries that are super nice and um, way friendly and so it's kind of it's kind of a weird uh, contrast of you know feelings that you go through while you're there and um, you know and you're you're just there and you live it's when me and Cade were there it was just boys there were no girls there I guess there's girls there now but um, you live there in these dorms and you wear uniforms and it's, it's kind of weird so so now you're describing um, individuals you know like um, sexual perpetrators or I don't know. People yeah. have had trouble with the law, but this isn't like a state-run facility, right? No, like I would say, ninety-five percent of the kids there never been in trouble with the law. I wasn't in trouble at all with the law. Um, it's very few number of kids that get sent there by the courts. It's mostly just like that's a lot of just families that have problems with their kids that can either afford it, or a lot of the times the church pays for it, and. Um, they, you know, it's just normal kids, really. It's not no one. No one there is really a criminal. There's a few. There's probably uh, like a ten percent of the population there are some sex offenders, and besides that, there's just normal kids, just just rebellious kids mostly. So, so it's the it's generally the parents and and or under the um, direction of the church that are, are sending them out. This isn't like your your probation officer makes you go or anything. No, well, in my situation, I was getting in trouble at home, and we were meeting with the stake president of our, you know, stake back in California, and he recommended the Utah Boys Ranch, and my parents sent me there. That's how it happened, and he knew about it because another boy in our stake had gone there previously. Yeah, there's and, not the, the, there's not really anybody that goes there that is not affiliated with the LDS Church in some way. And that's usually how they get referred there. So these parents are talking to their bishop and saying, oh, we're having problems with our son, and the bishop is referring them to the boys' ranch. So, so was, go, go, ahead. Ahead. go ahead. I was just going to say that was pretty much every case, everyone that I knew, pretty much. That's how it happened. <clears throat> so how do the parents even hear about the, uh, you know, I, I've heard about it in the news from time to time, but, you know, how, how do the parents know this is a resource for them? I I don't know how I, I mean my parents knew about it from our stake president I don't know how he knew about it or how they're getting the word out um, I honestly I, I don't know um, but somehow back in California he knew about this crazy place in Utah and he told my parents about it and they you know they sent me there um, but I don't know. I mean, I grew up in California. I, I had never heard of a Utah Boys Ranch or anything like that before they came to pick me up. Okay, let's. we'll come back to that church connection, which we obviously want to explore at, at some length. But let's talk about um, life sort of in the, in the Boys Ranch. So, so, Eric, you were there for three years? Um, so Almost. Maybe, maybe um, describe a typical, a typical day at the Utah Boys Ranch. Oh, man. Um, well... When you first get there, I mean, it, it, it depends, really. There's like a, there's this caste system. There's, uh, you know, like a hierarchy. And, you, and if, you know, you're at the bottom of the hierarchy, which is called the work crew, where you're just pretty much working or, or standing and facing a wall, uh, just standing there, you know, for hours, uh, 
you know, that would be different than if you were yeah, at the top of, you know, the cast system and wear like a blue shirt where you can, you can at least talk and, you know, go to school and stuff. It was different. It was weird, but you, you know, you basically, you'd wake up, you wake up early, you come out, read some scriptures, pray, go back and do chores and then, you know, go down to this cafeteria. You know, it, it was, I don't even know how to, you know, describe it. It's so weird, you know, talking about it. Um, it's just, it's it's kind of like uh, like a military school, but but you're you know you're around normal people and <laughs> and Mormon guys. You know, it's no no not military at all. It's kind of weird. And and the people that work there, they look like your bishop and every you know every Mormon guy that you've seen. Uh, you know, everyone kind of looks you know normal it's just kind of weird but uh i don't know so so yeah, and, and when i say that there are there are, are you don't really go there unless you have mormon ties you also don't work there unless you have mormon ties everyone everyone employed there is lds um all, all the kids who go there like like me for example i did not want to participate in, the, in really anything that had anything to do with the lds religion and they did have or offer, I should say, a Bible studies class. But you were not allowed to take the Bible studies class if you had been baptized when I was eight. So I'd been baptized, decided I didn't want to be a member. And by the time I went there, I was 17, and I was not allowed any choice. I, I was made to study the LDS religion, and that was everybody who was there. Nobody went to the Bible studies class. Yeah, so, so we would, you know, we would go to these classes during the day and go to seminary, and throughout the day, they would have uh, like missionaries. There was a, there was four missionaries when we were there. I think there's more now, and they would come and take you in their office for one class period, usually, and it was called like a missionary session. And you would go in their office and watch a movie, and they would have these little lessons planned for us, and we all liked it because they had candy, and it was the only time we ever got candy, and. So we, it was kind of weird, and so we'd go to class, and you have you would meet with a missionary, and um, and then when class was over, you would go back to your you know your group home, and uh, you kind of just you know you are living in this group home, and you know there's no fences or anything, but all the doors and stuff are alarmed, and your rooms are alarmed, and they have security guards that walk around at night and make sure you're in your bed. So you really can't, you can't leave, even though it looks like, you know, it, you know, if you saw a picture of the campus, it looks like if you wanted to run away, you could just run away, but you definitely can't. So, so as, as a juvenile, I mean, you're still a, a ward of your parents. Um, and does, does that remain in effect or, or, or how, how does that whole thing work? They sign over power of attorney when you first get there, and, um, but really, like, I mean, legally, if your parents want to take you out of that place, they can, um, but they basically, I mean, you don't get to talk to your parents. I mean, I think it was like three months before I even got to talk to my parents on the phone when I was there, so they, they really limit any contact that you have with your parents. Um, when you, you know, when you get there and, uh, 
I mean, basically, they, they have complete control over everything. They become your parents. So, so how young are the youngest who are there? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, the youngest that I knew that was – I was there, and I saw an eight-year-old kid. Wow. There. But normally, the younger ones were about 12, you know, 12 and up. But there were like some super young kids that were there. So how does how does schooling work? Do they take care of your normal schooling? Do they have a high school there, or, or were you getting that sort of academic uh, engagement? Oh, uh, the the schooling. I mean, they have teachers that come there, um, and you you're, you have class there on campus. But it, it's yeah. really it's really quite a joke. I think Kate would agree. It's it's really really inadequate education yeah absolutely they they have a uh, kindergarten through 12th grade there so you can essentially go there for any grade and you could get your uh, high school diploma there but it is absolutely a joke what what about it uh, makes you say that all, all you need to do is is show up and I mean any I don't know maybe it's it's just the the system as a whole that, that makes it a joke the way that Everything is structured and religion is intertwined into everything. And then most of the teachers at least appear to be, you know, out to get a lot of the kids there, a lot of the, the youth that were there. And maybe not even a necessarily physically aggressive way, but oftentimes in a passive aggressive way. And then when you're doing homework, it's it's not on par with any sort of high school system, even in what would be, in my opinion, a, you know, poor school system here in the U.S. a lot of times. Yeah, they have, like, crossword puzzles. Like, you know, like in senior senior high school level classes, we're doing, like, crossword puzzles in English class. And it's really, like, you know, it, it reminds me of when you, when, you know, when you're a child actor on set, they have a tutor <laughs> come. It, it really reminded me of that, like for long periods of time, like that kind of uh, education. It, I mean, it's pretty bad. So, was the regular, you know, high school secular education separated from the religious education? Oh no, these were people. These were people that worked for the Boys Ranch that were the teachers, um, and it was not at all secular. It was the opposite of secular. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not just that there was, there were two buildings. The seminary building was probably, I don't know, seven eighths as big as the actual school portion. Each maybe had, well, maybe the seminary had six classes in the chapel, six classrooms and a chapel. And then the school had maybe seven or eight classes in, in a gym. And so it was just all skewed as well. It wasn't like there was, it was a huge place and there was a lot of action going on. They did all of this in such a small space that many of the things were intertwined. And it was just real, real goofy. So about how many kids were there when you guys were there? Oh, I'd say maybe 100, 110. So, so a pretty small group then. Yep. Um, and, and what would have been the ratio of inmates to guards? Well, uh, they had, in our group homes, we had three staff. They were called our, our home staff, and they, there was a married couple and then like a single, usually a return missionary, uh, living in like a studio. He lived in the studio apartment, and the couple lived in like a one-bedroom apartment that was attached to 
our dorms. And so there would be three, those would be our three main staff, uh, you know, that were with us, you know, 24-7, except for when we were at school. And, you know, there would be about, I don't know, I'd say like 20, 25 of us in, in a home, maybe. And, uh, you know. Yeah, and then there would range in between about 18, and, and I remember maybe like 30 was the most we ever had in, in one of our homes when we had kids sleeping on the couches or something. Yeah, and then there's all sorts of therapists and stuff that work with you. and But there's, I don't know, there's probably less than, I don't know, probably less than 50 staff there, maybe maybe more, I don't know. Um, but but not, you, not too many. You, you were well watched, we could say. Oh yeah, constantly. We're constantly being watched. So let's let's talk a little bit about the work detail. What what sort of um, physical activities or physical labor did they have you doing? <laughs> Fantastic <laughs> things. That that's a great question. Yeah. Uh, wow. Besides, like regular work, like cleaning and doing like, because there was no janitors or anything there. There's no like cleaning staff or. Like in a hospital, you would have people cleaning. Um, we we completely maintained that entire facility. There was like one guy that was like a maintenance guy that would like fix like tractors and stuff, and you know, but he wouldn't clean or anything. Um, so we would do that kind of stuff. But on work crew, like we would just do like you know BS type work, like moving rocks like into huge piles. Like we take these huge rocks like these 10 pound rocks and move them into these huge piles it would take like an hour this pile would be like 10 feet tall and then we would have to like move it like 100 100 feet away and this would take like that would take up our whole day that would be like a monday gone you know moved a pile and then laying you know, laying sod doing doing yeah. like like maintenance maintaining a baseball diamond and nursery there, there were all sorts of things that they would have you do, which was also like more legitimate work as well as, you know, certain fundraisers like the Scarecrow Festival and other things that were all, you know, unpaid, the, the equivalent to unpaid child labor. So, yeah. so, so they would... Uh, it was hard work too. It wasn't like easy stuff at all. So, so setting, so, setting up a small carnival. So they would do this... Um, so, so they sometimes just assign you guys... And apparently you knew you were just moving rocks around just to move them around. Was that a punishment or regular um, action? Yeah, that was just to, to mess with us. That was like a yeah, punishment. That would be a punishment. But pulling weeds and, and maintaining the baseball diamond and the nursery could also be like a, a regular time thing, not just a punishment. But depending on who you were in the hierarchy and kind of your personality, it, it really could be both. Did you earn any sort of money, or did they give you, give you anything in uh, return? No way. Uh, absolutely not. No so, way, never. So h how would you get any sort of spending money to, you know, be able to, I don't know, buy some uh, Twix? We weren't, we weren't allowed the, the, to have money, and there was no such thing yeah, as Twix. Yeah, there, there's nothing to buy there. There's no vending machines or, like, a, an office, a, a little small closet office that sells, you know, Twix and in coloring books and, and stuff like that. There was nothing like that. So, I mean, what sort of things do you wear? I mean, I, I, I guess I envision you guys in uh, orange jumpsuits digging holes out in the dry lake bed, you know? Uh, oh, yeah. And, <laughs> and earlier, when Eric said that there was a hierarchy in, in as high as a blue shirt, there's actually one step higher than a blue shirt that is really... We always just kind of considered it junior staff, even though there's no way that's what it was. But you did have even more privileged 
teams than uh, those who were who were uh, blue shirt if you were 18. But there's there's work crew, which the, is the lowest, and you would typically wear a green shirt. And if you were, uh, you know, three weeks or, or three days to a week into work crew, you would oftentimes be wearing uh, camo cargos or some jeans. But usually you'd be wearing a blanket tied with a rope and a wait, green wait, shirt. Wait. Hold, and then there was on. a green shirt. I'm sorry. A, a blanket tied with a rope. That's that's right. Sorry, I did kind of casually skip over that. <laughs> yeah. So 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 you guys were talking about a caste system. This was this was literally, um, you know, in the in the system that you would wear and mark yourselves as work crew, and everybody, right. all the other boys would know that oh, you were work crew. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and all your time was spent with work crew. They were they were always a group of one to maybe three groups of boys doing different specific activities or just being babysat in a specific location, i.e. the gym or somewhere in the in the seminary building, somewhere like that. So how would you get on the work crew? What would you have to do to get the work crew assignment? Well, when you first get there, that's what you do. You're on work crew. Uh, they take your clothes and they give you... Uh, you know, uh, a green shirt and, like Kate was saying, a blanket. Um, they take your pants away and they give you this big brown wool blanket, like you put under a saddle, and you like tie it around your, like wrap it around your waist, like a, like a towel, and you basically be wearing a dress and uh, have a leash around you, and you're, you know, on work crew, being held on a leash by a staff member like 24 7 and that's the lowest and then after that you can still be on work crew and wear pants um like camo pants or jeans and so you could earn your pants back through good behavior <laughs> yeah you had, to, right. you had to earn your pants back for sure and, and your shoes yeah you had to earn your shoes as well they, oftentimes you just wear socks oh really yeah. Wor working out outside yeah Huh, that's sure. right. So the, I, the, I guess they would take away everything from you. I mean, you wouldn't have a, a, a watch yeah. or you just yeah. had your own. You just had your own underwear and socks, literally. The the the, the beauty of that when you we, you saying that they take away everything. That's exactly right. You actually have to raise your hand and be called upon and ask in a specific way to do one of essentially any natural thing other than breathing. If you need to sneeze, you need to raise your arm. If you need to scratch yourself, you need to raise your arm and ask. And if you do otherwise, you can be made to stare in the corner. You can be made to do push-ups. You can be detained by a man three times to four times your size. Just all sorts of crazy things. So, so um, I guess as you behaved yourself and learned to... Um you know, do do what you're told, you would earn up in privilege. So did the work crew get as much time like in school and in seminary as everybody else? Did they did they use that as a punishment? No, the weird thing, which might kind of be borderline illegal uh, for them to do, is there's no school at all while you're on work crew. So, I mean, there I was there, you know, I was on work crew for, for like one month stints, you know, oftentimes. And so I wouldn't go to school for like a whole month. And... You know, you would still meet with the missionaries, that's it, and your therapist. But other than that, you were on work crew, like, 
all day. And the only thing you were allowed to do besides sleep and be on work crew was read the Book of Mormon. That was the one activity you could do after, you know, school. Yeah. I think you were on work crew until 5 or 6 p.m. And then you'd come back to the, the home in which you were living in. And uh, you would be allowed to read the, the scripture or go to bed. Now, guys, I have to say, I can tolerate a lot, a lot of inhumane things. But making you read the Book of Mormon, that oh, yeah. crosses the line. No, after you get off of work crew and you're in a green shirt, you're not allowed to talk or anything. Like a green shirt is still pretty bad. It's it's a lot better than being on work crew, but it's still pretty awful. But before you are allowed to get into a blue shirt, which everyone is trying to get into a blue shirt when they're there because then you can talk and then you can call your parents and then, you know, things are a lot better for you. But in order to get into a blue shirt, you have to read first Nephi you have to be able to pass it off to a missionary and they sit and they ask you questions and you have to summarize it and we all had to do it and it was awful you so, have to memorize a certain portion of it yeah like you literally look like, i'm not i'm not exaggerating when i say they make you read the book of mormon like it's not a joke like you have to read it you have to understand it and it's like not a surprise that so many kids come out of there mormon like i had my own you know, little phase of being brainwashed and totally the only, you know, I had a full, full on testimony and it's the only time I ever really believed in the church was when I was there and I was on work crew and, you know, it, it's like, it's really intense how, how much they indo indoctrinate you there. Um, well, you know, guys, I, I've, I've read the book, The Manipulated Mind, which is about brainwashing and those studies, um, you know, out of prisoners in North Korea or, or whatever. And, I have to say, this is right out of the manual. You know, you know, if you, if you want to run a prison camp, um, you're, you're pretty much descri describing it. I don't, I don't mean to laugh. I mean it's an unfortunate yeah. situation, no, but it's just so, it's just so, it's just so out there that it's 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 hard to believe that that it's it's right there. You know, in the Salt Lake Valley, we are, we are to the point now where we can oftentimes laugh about many of the experiences we had there. So yeah. So, Eric, you, you, you referenced a, a couple times some physical punishment. What, what sort of physical punishments would they give for misbehavior? Oh, they would just, I, it depends. Like, they oftentimes would just beat your ass, like, slam you <laughs> on the ground and, like, really, like, mess you up. Like, like, it was intense. Like, it was hardcore. Like, they could get away with a lot, especially if you're on work crew, because there was only, like, two work crew staff. Sometimes there was just one. And so they could get away with a lot, and they they did. And you know, I the sad thing about this whole thing, I can laugh about most of it, and a lot of it is just just weird to me. But the really bad thing about my whole experience there was I saw a lot of kids just get their asses beat like bad by huge guys, and it was just uncalled for. It would be, you know, it wasn't because they were out of control, like, or they needed to be like restrained because they were going to hurt themselves or hurt anybody else or anything like that. It was just because they would mouth off or say the F word or do something wrong or just refuse to, to do something. And they would just get like messed up bad. Um, so did they make you do any, um, you know, like standing and holding a position or any, any sort of punishments like that? Oh God. Yeah. Uh, facing the wall. That's what it was. And we, me and Kate have probably collectively like spent, you know, a hundred hours 
of our lives facing a wall and just staring at it. And that's what they would have you do. They would just have you stand there perfectly still with your nose, you know, touching the wall. And you just have to stand there and you couldn't move. It was weird. So what? That's, what's... that's pretty much what work crew was. If you weren't working, you were just standing there and facing the wall for hours at a time. What sort of things would you have to do to get a punishment like that? Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, it could be anything. Um, like if you, you know, if if you talk back, like if you're disrespectful, uh, you know, cussing, you know, really you would just have to do a lot of push-ups if you were caught cussing. But, um, I mean, work crew was like pretty much the hardest punishment that you would you could get. If you're a blue shirt, they, you know, and you did something wrong, if you, you know, got got a bad grade on a test or something, they would put you back into a green shirt and you have to earn your way back into a blue shirt again and things like that, where they would take away um, f- phone calls and stuff and things like that. But, I mean, really, it was, it was really anything. Any, I don't know, Kay, do you, do you remember any specific things that you'd get punished for for work crew? Yeah, you know, and I oftentimes find myself wondering about the things that it was that we had done. But a lot of times it seems like, well, and granted, there's probably a lot of the things that were actually repressed or, or in some way pushed out of your mind as, as you went through them. But I I almost find myself leaning to, to think that a lot of times they were trivial things, stupid things about, you know, arguments about things in one of the homes or you know whose stuff it was or even sometimes poking fun at each other like some of the some of the other kids in the in the home or just different things I, I find it difficult to remember exactly what it was so it makes it even more so in my mind stand out like it would have been things that were trivial or that that wouldn't really matter well, yeah, I remember a lot of trivial things and I remember like some serious things too like you know um, I mean, kids were, you know, there were some gay kids that would be caught having sex with each other and they would, for that, they would be put in blankets on work crew and, you know, there's kids that would get caught smoking weed there or failing yeah, drug tests. Yeah, that's right. But sneaking, there's a, sneaking cocaine in and... Yeah, wow. there's some stuff like that going on, but mostly it was just like really trivial stuff, like stupid stuff. <laughs> Okay, you guys have mentioned uh, the missionaries a couple times, and I've sort of let it go till now. Um, so were these real, official church missionaries, or just people sort of acting as missionaries? Oh, no. Oh, no. F- f- full-blown missionaries. Actual yeah. missionaries. Yeah, let me, let me state for the record that they were... F- they were called there. That was their mission, Utah Boys Ranch. So the Utah Boys Ranch, who owns and operates this thing? <laughs> is, is it is it its I, I own mean, entity? Is it is it a for profit organization? Is it a not for profit, no. or, or or do you do you guys know? It's a non profit, and they have yeah, a board yeah, of directors yeah. and an executive director who is Chris Butters, most people know for you know fifteen years. But uh, I don't know who exactly owns it. Um, so let, let's talk I'm, a little bit about um, Chris. Chris Butters is um, the. Um, Utah State Senator, he's on the Utah Senate, um, yeah. for the uh, South Jordan, is it? Uh, West Jordan. West Jordan. 
Um, West York. Yeah. He he is a very outspoken old cuss, and he's been a bishop three times. Um, so he's you know he's 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 connected into the church, and he's the executive director of this thing. He was until two thousand and five. And did he did he step down or? Yeah, he was forced to step down. Um, he had some somebody at the boys' ranch. Uh, there must have been some kind of coup, you know, within the ranks because somebody reported him for using the boys' ranch office in his Senate campaign, and so they they had they had him step down, and he now receives a pension from them. Um, but there's a new executive director now. But he was he was the executive director for like 15 years. He was the the director when I was there. I met him, you know, many times. But so as as far as you know, the Utah Boys Ranch is not owned or operated by the church, at least not officially. Well, I don't know how I mean how it could be possible that I mean, no, definitely not officially. Um but I don't know how it could be possible that they have missionaries called to serve there, and they also have um, a, a ward. They have a bishop and a, a bishopric that are specifically assigned there. Um, so I don't understand how they can do that without some type of ownership. But I'm not sure. The 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 ward part doesn't bother me as much because you know there's a lot of wards on post you know, for army bases and, and just basically wherever they can get wards, they put wards. The missionary thing is a little strange. I, I'm trying to rack my brain and think yeah. of anything else that is that explicit because this is their only duty, right? They, they don't do anything yeah. else. No, it's not like they're local missionaries like in West Jordan, you know, that come by. These are elderly couples and they're the senior missionaries and they have offices there and they're there seven days a week. They don't live there. But uh, they they they're there in the morning until about five every day. And and, and that, what is their job? What are they supposed to be doing? Giving us the discussions, and, uh, you know, meeting with us. They meet. I mean, you usually have you'd have a missionary session usually a couple times a week where you would go and sit with them for forty five minutes and. They'd give you a lesson. It was kind of like home teaching in a way, I guess, um, but different. I don't know. I I remember watching a lot of videos, uh, church videos, and stuff like that. So they would spend their day meeting with boy after boy after boy and have like a almost like a um, like a therapist, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Um, did they have on staff any sort of um, social workers or psychologists or therapists or anybody serving in that role? They did. They had uh, every every uh, group home had its own therapist. So every you know, twenty boys or so, there would be a, a different therapist that would basically make all the decisions about you know your life there. You know, they they were basically the warden. Whoever your therapist was was basically the warden for you, and they ultimately determined when you got to go home. So, but there was no one from the state there ever. I was there for almost three years, and there's never anyone that I met from the state that came in and talked to us. These were all employees of the Boys Ranch. So, did these missionaries exert any kind of um, ecclesiastical control? Like, did they interview you about you know intimate details, or just really sort of like home teachers? That was mostly the the 
they called the they didn't call it a bishopric there. They called it the branch presidency, and that was basically what the branch presidency did. Besides your therapist, also your branch, the branch presidency, who really kind of uh, the one that was there when I was there. I can't remember his name, but he reminded me a lot of Mr. Garrison, and um, like the old old school Mr. Garrison, and um, he would ask you all sorts of crazy stuff like. You know, if you masturbated and had sex and all sorts, he he did all that weird conversation that you know that you have with the bishop, and uh, you would have to confess to him, and it was all connected with your therapist. You know, your therapist would know all your issues that you talked about with the, with the branch president, and the missionaries would know why you were at why you were there and all your issues. So it was all. It was all kind of out there, but the missionaries were mostly just the friendly old people there to give you candy and you know to be <laughs> nice to you. That was really their function. So, so I mean, let's go back. If if you would confess something to your bishop, your bishop might share that with your therapist or with other counselors there. Well, yeah, you you don't have. There's a bishop there. I mean, there's a chapel. Oh, your 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 branch president. Yeah, yeah, for sure. They would all talk to each other. Wow. Okay, so we talked about... Uh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, um, yep, uh, you know, the whole, you know, part of your program and part of getting into a blue shirt from a green shirt was you had to have a meeting with the branch president. You know, they do all the typical stuff where you can't pass a sacrament for a while and, you know, you'd have to work all these things out with your therapist. Okay, so we talked a little bit about um, the connection to the church through um, butters. Um, what other sort of connections, um, Eric, do you uh, have you pointed out with the church? Oh, um, I mean, there's a lot of, like the board of directors, there's a lot of people on there. Um, like LeVar Christensen, that name might not sound super familiar, but he was a Utah congressman, and he co-wrote, um, a bill, I don't remember what it was, but he co-wrote Utah's homosexuality, you know, anti-gay bill. Um, he co-wrote that with Butters, and he was he's, he was a congressman. He's not anybody now, as far as I know, but he was a super rich Utah lawyer. Um, there's a uh, uh, Jeffrey R. Holland has has been there at the Boys Ranch. Um, there's seminary teachers that are called to, to work there. And they have, you know, they get paid from the Boys Ranch, but uh, I guess his name was uh, Rolf Kerr, and he was the CES, uh, you know, president of the CES, you know, and he used to go out there. Um, I even found a talk by Gordon B. Hinckley, found it online, and he mentioned a letter that he got from the Utah Boys Ranch and, uh, and he went on to read it and it was totally like, it was like a plug for the Boys Ranch, like literally in this talk by Gordon B. Hinckley. I have it on my website. I, I linked to it. Um, it it's crazy. Uh, what else? I mean, Deseret News is always publishing stuff about them. Um, most of the food, like I'm sure Kate would agree. Even it comes from Desert Industries. Like almost all the food that we ate was from the DI. Um, uh, when you say the DI, you're talking about like the um, 
the welfare square food, like the um, food that comes from the church canneries, right? Yeah, like the, right. like the gallon of milk that has a little Deseret label on it. Right, know? right. Like from the, the stuff that they give the poor people in the church. Like, we would drink, like, I think that's all we ever drank, really, was that Deseret milk and the Deseret peanut butter. I remember hating that Deseret peanut butter so much. It was so crappy. And, uh, you know, like, so, like, they get almost all their food from there. Um, they, if you watch General Conference, you'll see commercials for West Church Academy in General Conference. During uh, General Conference, uh, I mean, and like Kate said, every single person that works there is LDS without without question, without any variance, everyone there is LDS. So what sort of, um, you, you mentioned Jeffrey Holland, um, what sort of promotion or interaction do um, does he or other general authorities have? Uh, and you did miss, mention Westridge Academy, we should probably be clear, it was called the Utah Boys Ranch until about 2005, and they've changed their name to the Westridge Academy, if I have that right. Well, kind of. Uh, when we were there, they had they called the school part of it Westridge Academy, and your diploma, if you got in your your transcripts, would say Westridge Academy. But the actual program and living there and being there, you were you were part of the ranch. So they used to try and have both going on. The name West, like I my diploma, my high school diploma says Westridge Academy when I because I I graduated high school there. Um, but in two thousand five, they had. They brought the girls on, so oh. they just—I guess—they abandoned that whole name and went with Westridge Academy for everything. So. Okay, so so yeah, the, the 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 question still sort of holds. You know what? What what do you know of the the cross promotion? What how how are the general authorities involved in 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 it? Um, I, you know, I can imagine that they probably, I mean, this is just me speculating. I don't have any hard evidence, but I can imagine that they are spreading the word about the Boys Ranch for, you know, getting it out to bishops and stake presidents as an option for Mormon families that are, you know, quote unquote, having trouble with their, you know, kids. Um, I, th I think there's a lot of that going on. And I think more of it is about raising money and, you know, getting LDS people to donate because the whole, the big thing that Chris Butters used to say was that, uh, the ranch was built completely debt free. And so, I mean, it's all they're They just, they get a ton of money like donated to them. Um, and I'm sure, I don't know how it works. Uh, but I'm sure the general authorities have a lot to do with that. And then there's just firesides every Sunday, and sometimes one of them would come out, and there would be, you know, a ton of people showing up. I remember L. Tom Perry came once when I was there um, to a fireside. and uh, But, you know, I don't know, really. I mean, while I was there, it wasn't, like, such a huge shock to me. Like, I didn't really start thinking about how crazy the whole Mormon part of it was until... You know, I was already, you know, until I was out of that place. Because while I was there, it was just like everyday life. Like, you don't really think, like, this is weird. Like, this is completely 100% Mormon all the time. 
you know, it, you know, in your face. Like you don't really think about it because it's just how it is, and you all you're thinking about when you're there is getting out and what you got to do to make your life a little easier. So. So, so Eric, let's talk about you, you for a second. I mean, three years, three years seems a long time to be away from your family and away from, uh, you know, your, your friends and sort of walked up in this, I don't know, yeah. it, it sounds like a seminary crossed with a military academy. Um, you yeah. know, how did that affect you? Well, I, sh I should clarify, there were there was about three or four months of time that I was at home and then I went back. <laughs> I went home for the summer. But yeah, it was pretty much like a straight, you know, three years that I was there. And it was it was tough for me because my parents were from California and I didn't have any family in Utah. So I you know, I I couldn't go home. Like some boys you could eventually earn the privilege of going home for the weekend and uh with your family and i i can never do that so i was always there you know I, a lot you know i was there seven days you know a week and it was it was pretty tough i mean it pretty much destroyed you know a family relationship and it it was weird it took me you know it took me a good three years from like 18 to like 21 to really you know get recover and wrap my head around it and like because it, it was just such a crazy experience. I mean, when I started my website, you know, I I didn't start it to do any kind of activism or outreach or anything. I had just decided that, you know, I'd finished writing, you know, I, I was writing a book about it and I'd finished my first draft. And I thought, you know, no one's going to believe this crap. Like, no one is going to believe me. This is crazy. And there was nothing on the internet about it. And so I just decided to start a website that, had other stories and so people so i could find stories and people could find me and tell you know post their stories so that my own story would be believable because like some of the stuff that went on there is just you know you, you wouldn't even imagine that you know that kind of place exists and it's you know and yet it does and it's still it's still growing strong so eric you you've alleged um uh, abuses um maybe you can give us an outline of, of, of what you think are the the worst abuses. I mean, I mean, let, let let me frame it this way. Let me play devil's advocate for a minute. You know, some some kids are sort of out of control. They need a little bit more structure. They need a little bit more discipline. You know, why isn't this just a a a, a way to help the wayward boys? Well, I mean, it was like I said, it, it wasn't like they didn't they played by their own rules, which is the problem. I think. I think obviously there's kids that need structure and structure isn't a bad thing for you know teenage boys but they played by their own rules and they would just beat the crap out of kids just for you know showing a little attitude and to some people i think that they might even think that's okay but the thing is these were these were kids you know children you know young mostly young adolescents like i was 15 when i was first there you know and i I was a lot different when I was 18 when I got out, but you know, these are young kids and a lot of them have emotional problems. A lot of them are, you know, I'd say about 50% of them are adopted kids. And so they've got their own issues there. And it's just, just like a hardcore, violent, traumatic thing. I mean, they would call it being restrained, uh, is what they would call it when you got beat up pretty bad. And, um, I would say maybe 
I saw one or two out of hundreds of restraints that the kid was actually out of control or that there was two kids fighting. The rest of the time it was just mostly just for showing attitude like you would get beat up like like not like not like uh like you would think like like a mental hospital or like trained professionals would like you know grab you in the right way and like take you down to the ground and hold you and all that stuff it wasn't anything like that it was just like slamming like just violence like these people were just that were working there weren't weren't trained in any way they were mostly young college students mormon students that you know were looking for an easy job that worked well with their school schedule and they would just like beat the crap out of you for showing attitude and i mean that's a lot different than treating kids that are like legitimately like out of control and, and most of the kids weren't legitimately out of control there they were out of control at home in ways that their parents you know and the other the other thing about that place that that i find problematic is that it's your parents that decide that you go there there's no kind of appeal process there's no like no doctor saying okay yes this this child needs to be locked up like your parents say you need to go you need to go and so like in my case when i have like kind of a crazy zealot stepdad who's like hardcore mormon who thinks here's of this place and thinks oh this is awesome i can turn my wicked stepson into a you know a missionary then i'm there and i'm i'm screwed for for three years you know i have no kind of advocate or no appeals process like that's it i'm done i'm there and they'll, they'll keep you there as long as they can you know and okay. so i mean that's that's not any that's not helpful to any any kind of problem i think in any kind of kid well you know eric the the sort of things you describe you know like talking back to adults and cursing and showing attitude i mean that's what everybody else was doing too you know yeah um you know so so the the thing i always worry about when i hear situations like this is how do you prove you're normal you know because if you act normal it, it seems that that's not tolerated they, they, they want you to go one step beyond that yeah well you don't even have the chance to prove that you're normal to anybody i mean while you're there you're trying to pretend like You've seen the light and every, you know, there's no arguing with why you're there. You just accept it and say that you're, you're working on it and you say whatever you can say to get out of there. But, um, yeah, there's, it's a huge problem. I think, um, I mean, I would be, I would be less, or, you know, I'd be more open to places like the Utah Boys Ranch is if everyone that went through there at least had to go through some type of process some type of you know fitness evaluation or judicial process or appeal or something but you know you really i mean there were kids there for for anything for being gay kids there for be, just being gay kids there there's a kid there a good friend of mine who was there because he was depressed and his parents were looking on the internet or spoke to an educational consultant and referred them to this place that claims to cure depression, which is, you know, ridiculous. And then there was kids there that were like super like sexually like aggressive, like almost like pedophiles, but I don't know if you can be a pedophile and still be a minor. I don't know how that works, but there was like sexually like some sick sexual stuff going on with some of the kids there. 
and just most of the kids were just regular, you know, I'm friends with a lot of the people that I was there with because they're just like just regular teenage guys like me, you know, we got well, most of us got along really well. So Eric, you've set up the um, Mormon Gulag site, um, and that's out at uh, that's out at mormongulag.com, and we'll put a link up to it. Um, have you received any sort of negative um, feedback or any re- repercussions for for speaking out? Oh God, yeah, tons. Um, I mean, I've got I've got a section on there where I've posted most of the hate mail that I've got. I, I get a lot of hate mail, and um, I've gotten a couple threats at lawsuits and um stuff like that but for the most part i was really surprised by how many people are just said oh i'm so glad somebody finally did this and it kind of changed my whole perspective on things because at first i you know i was really just there to support you know my own story that i was trying to get out there but you know so i've gotten so much positive you know support from people that were there you know early you know early 90s even people that were there just a few months ago like it's really like it it's quite a lot of people find that find that website and it's because there there's nothing else out there on the internet which is why i started it because there's just no it was just their their representation of who they were and that was the only side of the story that was being portrayed and you know the best the best part is uh, I've gotten a lot of parents that have said, oh, I found your website, and I'm glad that – I'm so glad I found it, and I'm not sending my child there. And that's that's probably the most rewarding for me. Wow. Uh, so, so, Cade, how has your life um, um, been changed? Or I guess, I guess you wouldn't know how it's been changed, but how has your experience there in the boys' ranch affected you uh, up until now? You know, it, it's raised awareness both in things that, that I, I would do as far as – communication with with my children or or other youth all, all the way to kind of the, the way that I, I may interact with people you know it I, sometimes I feel like like I'm almost a little manipulative or or um, you know anxious and untrusting by nature and, and obviously I may not be able to attribute that entirely to the ranch but a great deal of it so what would you guys like to see happen what now I'd like personally to see the whole facility be closed down, run, you know, out of business. I'd like to see the people, the most violent of the staff members there be, you know, held accountable in some way, whether, you know, criminally or legally. Um, you know, and I just like to see that place. If, you know, I feel good about a lot of the things that my, you know, the website and, the article that I wrote about it have like impacted the way things are, but I really would feel good and I, I'd feel at peace with this whole thing once they're gone and, you know, out of business. Uh, you know, see, see, and I, I personally agree with all of that, except for, uh, I understand that there is a need for correctional, you know, some sort of correctional something for children often, not oftentimes, but when, when you're in a situation like that, you may need to go to some sort of a program that's going to help give you some guidance and some, some positive movement. But I, I would really like to see some sort of federal regulation or some sort of, um, you know, state regulation that allows them to be monitored by some other organization. Yeah, I mean, they... Uh, 
I think that the kids that need help, there's kids obviously that need help and they need to be in a facility that doesn't have a financial interest in them being there. And, you know, as much as the state, you know, gets a bad reputation for, you know, you know, look how bad the whole foster care thing is. It's, it's really horrible, but it's worse when you have, when you mix this free enterprise with this, this kind of industry, because it, I mean, they, the longer they keep you there, the more money they get. And it's, it just seems so absurd. I don't know why parents even, why parents even fall for that kind of thing. Um, well, I, I, I would think if, if anything, if there's a cautionary tale here, it's for the parents to make sure you realize what, um, you know, what you're, what you're getting your kids into, you know, to, to, to be aware, because I, I would dare guess that most of them, especially those sending their very young children would have, would have no idea of what, what's going on there. So, I mean, it's a cautionary tale for all of us. Right. All right. Well, gentlemen, it's been a fascinating, um, um, talk is sort of gut wrenching to know that, um, it's, it's still there and there's still kids going through this sort of thing. Um, really eye-opening the, <laughs> to see the, the church's in, involvement. Um, you know, uh, so um, I, I do wish you both uh, the, the, the best in your recovery and, and in your endeavors in, uh, in working towards uh, the relationships you're building with those who've come out of the uh, Boys Ranch. Thank you very much, and thanks for having us. On yeah, show. thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. And um, as always, well, you can... You can head over to the website at mormongulag.com or you can check us out at our website and as always the discussion continues there at mormonexpression.com thanks guys thank you